welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode... I am interviewing Professor Eva Roos on behalf of the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy, which happens October 4th and 5th of 2019 in Vancouver, Canada. And I am so happy to be interviewing a lot of the speakers uh, who will be at the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy. And all these interviews originally took place live on the Third World Congress's Facebook page. So if you wanted to go and watch us live on Facebook, you can do that as well. As a result, there's not a lot of editing. Actually, I'm not editing any of it. I'm just going to kind of let it play out live, just like it did if you watched live on their Facebook page. And so I'm so happy to be interviewing Professor Roos. She is the author of 205 peer-reviewed publications. She has published in high-impact journals such as the New England Journal of Medicine, the British Journal, the British Medical Journal, and the Lancet. Her work has been cited an unbelievably 10,952 times, with one paper cited more than 1,100 times and 23 additional papers cited more than 100 times, which is amazing. In 2014, her contribution to public health was recognized when she won the ORSI, which is Osteoarthritis Research Society International Clinical Research Award, for her outstanding work in exercises prevention and treatment of joint pain, joint injury, and osteoarthritis. And in this episode, what we're talking about is the GLAD program. So the GLAD program, which is Good Life with Osteoarthritis in Denmark Project for People with Knee and Hip Pain. The GLAD project is an outstanding example of how to successfully implement evidence-based clinical guidelines in primary health care practice and municipalities. So we talk about the three components that make up the GLAD program. Are the GLAD exercises superior to performing any other forms of exercise? The benefits of participating in group therapy? And a sneak peek into Professor Roos' talk at the World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy. So a huge thank you to Professor Roos. To say she's like a rock star is an understatement. And again, thank you to all of the organizers of the World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy for allowing me to do these interviews with their speakers. Enjoy. My name is Karen Litzy. I'm a physiotherapist. I'm based in New York City. And I am so happy to be on the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy Facebook page interviewing Professor Eva Roos. And we are going to talk a little bit about her background and the GLAD program and a sneak peek at what she's going to be speaking about at the Third World Congress, which is October 3rd through the 5th in Vancouver, Canada. So, Professor Roos, thank you so much for taking the time out and joining us today on this Facebook Live. Thank you. It's very exciting to meet you, Karen. Yes, and and for all of you who are on watching, if you have questions, we can see them. So feel free to put questions in as we get a little bit more into the conversation. Um, But before we get to the the meat of what our 
interview is about. Can you talk a little bit more about yourself? <laughs> okay, so what you want to know? <laughs> well, let's talk about how long you've been a physiotherapist and kind of what led you into the work that you're doing now. Okay, so I've been a physiotherapist since I graduated back in 1981. So that's a really long time ago. And the reason why I moved into this area was because I was very much involved in sports. I went to a sports high school and I competed on the national team in my sport, which is something called orienteering, when you're running in the forest with the use of a map and a compass. And I got an obvious injury and suddenly I couldn't run as much as I wanted to run. And I visited a number of sports medicine doctors and they actually couldn't help me either. And that built up some frustration. And eventually I actually had surgery for these overuse injuries and that was not very smart either. So that, that really sparked my interest and ended my career. And then um, getting a degree in physical therapy was the fastest way of getting to work with what I wanted to work with, sports medicine. And what took you from that, from getting your degree, <laughs> to where you are now, professor, researcher? Okay, so uh, I, when I think back, I realized that I had aspirations of becoming a researcher already as a kid. Uh, and um, I published my first paper back in the 80s, uh, but it didn't really take off until I found a very good supervisor in the mid 90s. Um, that, that's a good advice, I think. Find yourself a good supervisor. Uh -huh. And so how long, so you've been conducting research since the, since the 80s, and can you tell everyone where you currently are working? So I'm working at University of Southern Denmark. All right, and that takes me into the GLAD program. Okay. So. Before we start talking more about it, can you let the listeners know what does GLAD stand for? So GLAD stands for Good Life with Osteoarthritis in Denmark. Okay. And when did this when did this program start? So I think I would like to start by saying that while I am a researcher, GLAD is not really a research because GLAD came out of the frustration I felt. Uh, knowing about all the evidence that was out there and sitting on clinical guideline committees in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, China, uh, and globally. Uh, and we could see that all guideline committees, they recommended patient education, exercise, and, and weight loss if you were overweight as first-line treatment for osteoarthritis. And there were lots of money spent on, on these clinical guidelines, but nothing changed in clinical practice uh, because of these guidelines. So GLAD actually came out of pure frustration and we realized that something needs to be done to help clinicians uh, implement these clinical guidelines into their practice. That was the beginning of the GLAD program and that was in 2013. Okay. so. It's uh, yourself, Soren Skoop? Yes. I pronounced that correctly? Soren Skoop was my PhD yes. uh, student uh, okay. at, uh, at that uh, time. And Soren is a very young, uh, smart, energetic young man. And the combination of the two of us uh, 
uh, was really good uh, to make things happen. Okay, so before we get into, and we'll talk about some of the discussions on social media regarding the GLAD program yeah. in a little bit, but before we get into that, can you talk a little bit more about what is involved in the program and how it works? Okay, so the whole aim is really to improve quality of care for patients with osteoarthritis. And to do so, we use three components. The first is that we educate clinicians. In Denmark, it's mostly physiotherapists. It could basically also be other clinicians who have the, the sufficient background uh, and knowledge about osteoarthritis and knowledge about exercise as treatment. So we have a two-day course to uh, educate about osteoarthritis and about delivery of exercise as treatment. That's the first component. The second component is then what these clinicians deliver in their clinical practice. So that is patient education and exercise therapy, which is group-based and supervised by a clinician built on evidence. And the third very important component, component is that we evaluate the outcomes with an electronic registry. But I would again like to point out that this is not per se a research project because this is uncontrolled and this is real life. This is what happens uh, across uh, a nation. Right. So I think it's important to note that this is not like a randomized controlled trial. No, 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 collecting no. the data that you are finding from clinicians, from actual patients sort of in the trenches, Correct. so to speak. Yes. So in a, if you run a randomized controlled trial, everything is very much controlled. That's not the case when you do it in, in real life, in clinical practice. But, but GLAD is, is, um, is a minimum, it's a core package of patient education and uh, 12 exercise sessions. But as a clinician, you're always the one who determine what your specific patient need. So you have to deliver the patient education and you have to deliver the exercise, but you're absolutely free to add whatever you think your patient may need. Mm -hmm. They may, may need manual therapy to improve the range of motion of the joint or something else. Uh, that is absolutely fine. You can also send them to a dietitian if you think that would be beneficial for them, etc. And so, ooh, sorry for that. It, we may hear horns and sirens because I'm in New York City, so I apologize, everyone. Um, so as far as the program is concerned, so it's not like a clinical practice guideline, but rather a, a full program. So I guess my question is, how, if clinical practice guidelines weren't being followed, how do we know that the GLAD program is going to be something that's sustainable and, and followed? Do you know what I mean? Like if, if therapists were like, oh, I'm not following these clinical practice guidelines. So, um, not really sure I understand your question, but so, and I think that's probably why uh, to be able to answer that or respond to that question, I, I would say that it's basically that we can see that clinicians want to take the courses and we can see that they actually register patients in the registry uh -huh. and we can evaluate the outcome. 
And that's a very good way of, of measuring the quality of, of uh, what's being delivered. We can see how many sessions they have attended, for example, and things like that. Yeah, so it's giving therapists. Is that, is that what it, you're asking yeah, for? Yeah, exactly. So if I'm, I'm a clinician, so if I'm looking at it from the clinician standpoint, for me, it gives me some accountability. Yes. Right? So, exactly. like, of course, we're always accountable to our patients and should be to mm. ourselves, but it's always good to know that you're being held accountable and being held to a certain standard mm. for your patient mm. in order to, uh, to kind of be part of the program, if you will. Yes. And, and I think that's important because otherwise, I mean, human beings, right? We get lazy. <laughs> and, and maybe yeah. sometimes we're not, we, we're not following, um, following things as best we should. So I think that's an a important pr a component mm -hmm. of the program. I, I would say that um, the longer we go on, the greater is the part that has to do with quality assurance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, let's get into some of these discussions on social media now that we have a better idea of what the program yeah. is. So some of the discussions are regarding whether the GLAD program is superior to performing other forms of exercise. Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, okay. So uh, when you do a research study, uh, the primary outcome can be pain relief. And if you look at randomized controlled trials, um, and, and if you look at the effect that you find from different exercise program, there are no studies showing that one type of exercise is superior to another program when it comes to pain relief. So when GLAD, uh, when the neuromuscular exercise program that we use in GLAD has been compared to other exercise program, we can say it's similarly effective, but it's not more effective than other exercise programs. Mm -hmm. But what is interesting is that we can see that when we deliver it in clinical practice, one, is, one thing is that we're able to teach it uh, to physiotherapists with very different backgrounds. You know, there, we have taught more than 1,000 physiotherapists in Denmark, and, and, and some of them are real musculoskeletal experts, but some are not. And just being able to teach a program to, to clinicians with, with, with very varying background, that is in itself um, something that requires uh, a good framework for the program, I think. So, so that is one aspect. And then we can see that we're actually able to, to have a 25, about 25% 25 pain relief directly after the program. So we can kind of... Um, uh, duplicate or the findings that we have from randomized controlled trials. But what I think is even more important is that we can maintain that improvement at one year. And that is something that we don't always see in randomized controlled trials, actually. So in, in some regards, uh, it looks like we're doing better than in the randomized controlled trials. And this is not a research project, so I can't tell you why. Mm -hmm. I can just say that the clinical findings are really good and encouraging because it looks like there must be some kind of a better understanding of, of the disease from the patient's perspective. And there are some indications that there are some lifestyle changes. One third, for example, report that they have increased their physical activity level. We can see that one out of three stopped taking painkillers and we can see that there is a lot less sick leave, uh, especially among the knee OA patients. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that one year. And do you feel that, at least in Denmark, I'm assuming if a thousand therapists have gone through, this is a pretty recognized program yeah. in, in the country. So mm -hmm. do you feel like patients have more buy-in, so to speak, because it is a recognized program? Yeah, uh, that's a very interesting question. And if it, I, my feeling is that there is more buy-in from patients, mm -hmm. from clinicians, and from uh, those referring to the program, that is general practitioners and orthopedic surgeons. Mm -hmm. What the general practitioners tell me is that they really like to refer to a program where they know the content of what is being delivered. They don't really like to refer to a physical therapy as a black box treatment, that they don't really know what is going to be delivered. And I guess to some extent they may be right because there has been um, delivered passive treatments uh, for which there is really no evidence in these right. patients. And the other thing that I find interesting about the program is that it's in a group setting. Yes. Right? So you have a lot of people together in one mm. group. Yeah. And I also wonder, does that also foster, first of all, a nice sense of community, you have a support group, Again, accountability on the patients. Yes. If, if yes. it makes them more accountable, they're yeah. doing their exercises. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they've got the support. Yeah, you can see that when you go and audit in clinics. You can kind of see the interplay between the patients. And there is some kind of positive peer pressure, you know. Mm -hmm. And, for example, we do some exercises on the floor very deliberately. And there may be older patients who come in and say, I cannot get down on the floor because I haven't been on the floor for the last 10 years, you know, and the physio can say, well, that's fine. You don't have to, you know, but after a few sessions, that person will be on the floor, not with the help of the physio, but inspired by the other patients. And as some kind of a side effect, you know, they also learn how to get up with the help of a chair and they get less fear of falling because they know they can get up again. Right. And, and I look at that as such a positive for the program, but also for the patient, the individual patient, because then they're more likely to do the exercises. Yes, because I'm exactly. sure part of it is they're doing exercises on their own, I would assume. Mm -hmm. It's not just yeah. twice a week or however many times a week you're coming into the program. So what we tell them actually is that this is, twice a week and we do not require them to do anything at home if they want to sure they can do it but there's no requirement of home exercises and i think that makes it maybe but this is pure speculation a better experience because you feel sure you feel more secure about what you do you have someone to hold your hand because it's painful to start exercising when you have osteoarthritis and you ask your body to do things you haven't done for a long time mm -hmm. and many people get anxious if they should exercise at home and they also feel bad conscience if they don't do it so actually i think it, it, it seems to be a better experience to tell people do this twice a week we know it, it would be better if they did it three times a week mm -hmm. But we also know that for most people, it's not possible to squeeze that into their daily life. So it's a very pragmatic decision to say twice a week, because that is what most people can do. It's not the best, but it is pragmatic. 
And do you find that your um, class attendance is always very high? Meaning, are there a lot of dropouts? Yes. So if we look at the, the last annual report that I have access to was from 2017. We uh -huh. are about cleaning the data for 2018. But that was nearly about 30,000 patients. And we can see that eight out of 10 patients have completed at least 10 supervised sessions. That is very good, I think. Very good, yeah, because yeah. you know they, people always say exercises are great, but if the you have to do it's it. not going yeah. to do it, then yeah. it's not gonna make any yeah. bit of a change. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, now is there anything else about the GLAD program that you'd like to talk about and let everyone know about before we talk more about what you're going to be speaking about at the conference. So I think it's important to say that the GLAD program would not be the success it is if it didn't have the buy-in from the clinicians and that the clinicians wouldn't feel that it really supports their clinical practice. And because it's the clinicians who take ownership of the program and it's them who kind of market it in their local areas. It's them who inform the general practitioners. So GLAD is really more of a grassroots movement or bottom-up initiative or uh -huh. uh, whatever you would like to call it. We actually had no or very, very little funding to get this whole thing started. We actually only had funding to, to uh, set up an electronic registry. That was it. The rest was just pure frustration, hard work, Mm -hmm. and wonderful support uh, by all the clinicians who uh, have uh, embarked on this. Uh, and they feel that it's, it, it really eases their daily practice. And it has also made it possible for them to attract new patients. So it's actually been a good business for them in that sense. Yeah, and I also like that you mentioned earlier that if you've got a patient taking part in the GLAD program, that it doesn't mean that you're not perhaps seeing them for one-on-one -on -one therapy as well. Is that no, correct? No, you, you, you can do that if you yeah. want, of course, yeah. yeah. So, so, so GLAD is like, it's like a core, it's a framework, you know, and, and there are some core things that you have to deliver, but if you would like to deliver extra things on that, because you're the clinician, you're the only one who knows the patient. I think that's really, really important to stress. And I think this pragmatic approach and this flexible approach is, is part of the success. And, and that may come because uh, we have all worked for very long in the clinic and, and know what it's like mm -hmm. uh, to be in the clinic. And, and we know that it needs to work. So for example, if it was a research project, we also do functional tests, like uh, we look at walking speed and chair stance test, for mm -hmm. example. And if you did that in a research project, you would do three attempts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yes. but we don't do that. We only do one attempt because that is what you can do in clinical practice. Mm -hmm. So, so it, we have tried to do everything in a way that we evaluate the outcome. We can check the quality, but we've done it with minimum uh, resources on the therapist end. Yeah, and oftentimes that's what it's like when you're in a clinic. It is that is the way you need to make your daily work. Yeah, you need to make your ends meet during your daily work because else you won't do it. 
Exactly, exactly. No. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the GLAD program is not only in Denmark. No. Correct? Yeah. So it's also in, let me see if I can remember, Australia, <laughs> China, Canada. Yes. And this year in April, Switzerland will come on board. Oh, nice. And yeah, in November, New Zealand will come on board. Great. And, yeah. and the thing that I found really interesting in China is that um, it's physicians who are running the program there. So that's orth orthopedic surgeons and nurses. Yeah. 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 Which is, <laughs> in your head, you think, well, that's it's interesting. It's mind-boggling. It's yes. competition, so to speak. But I think it's. I think that's that's great. And, and hopefully in other countries, hopefully you guys will expand in other countries in the near future as well. Mm. All right. So let's get to what you're going to be speaking about at the Third World Congress of Sport Physical Therapy. So can you give us a little preview? Okay, so we haven't been talking much about research. We've been talking about implementing uh, clinical guidelines in clinical practice. But I think uh, I, have, um, I have been so fortunate that I actually grew up academically at Department of Orthopedics. And that has put me in a position that I've had many close collaborations with orthopedic surgeons. And we have across professions then been interested in surgery and exercise therapy as treatment for different kind of problems, mostly knee problems. So uh, over the years, I have been involved in randomized controlled trials where we have uh, compared surgery to exercise for an acute ACL tear in the young active populations, uh -huh. for a meniscal tear in the middle-aged population, and for severe osteoarthritis uh -huh. uh, in, in people that we have provided with non-surgical treatment, comprehensive package, and then randomized them to have a total knee replacement in addition or not. Mm. So I will talk about the outcomes of these trials, and I will talk about how you as a clinician can use these results in sh uh, shared decision-making uh, with your patients. And I think that's so important having that shared decision-making, being honest with your patients and giving them all points of view so that they can then... Yes, because there are, there are pros and cons with different treatment strategies. Yes. And there is no, not one treatment strategy that fits all patients. But I think it's really good if patients can get informed uh, so they're able to make a, a, a treatment decision that is right for them. Well, I am definitely looking forward to that. And, you know, as we speak, I am seeing an, a 12-year-old girl who had an ACL tear with subsequent surgery. Um, and I see a lot of ACL patients. So that mm -hmm. is something that I always try and give, you know, all views so that they can make the best decision. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that involves being the quote-unquote bad guy. What do you mean by bad guy? Well, not bad guy, but sometimes telling them things that they don't want to hear. Okay. Saying to the patient, because you're trying to give them all points of view. Mm -hmm. And sometimes patients don't want to see all points of view. You know, the, so often, what points of view don't you think they would like to see? Well, I think oftentimes, and this has been my experience with patients, is they want to hear the point of view that is going to confirm what they've already decided. 
without hearing all the points of view. Confirmation bias. Right. And so sometimes you have to, to if you want to be open and honest and with your patient and give them all of the information that they can take with them to make that decision, sometimes you have to tell them things that maybe they're not wanting to accept. Yeah. yeah. Which can I, be I actually think that it would be very beneficial if we could develop uh, educational packages or educational tools for uh, young patients as well, just as we have for osteoarthritis patients. Yes. Yeah, that would be really beneficial, but it's a hard nut to crack because when you're young, you think you're invincible and um, yeah, your your perspective is, is not very long. Right, right. You want things to happen here and now. Exactly, yeah. or yesterday. Or um, yesterday would have been even better. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, I am definitely looking forward to that because I am always looking for better ways to communicate with my patients and, and really to be able to give them all of the information they need. So yeah. I am definitely looking forward to your talk. Okay. Um, looking oh, forward to seeing you there in Vancouver. Yes. And we've got a couple of comments that I'll just read. Um, oh my goodness. All right. <clears throat> I am going to not say this person's name right, but Meredith Montalbano Savadove. Gosh, I yeah. hope I said that correctly. <laughs> um, she said, your work is incredible. Your work is incredible. You truly make the world a better place. So proud to know you. Hope to see you soon. And then- Thank you, Meredith. She's yeah. a good skier. Oh, is that right? Yes. And then Jay- And she has arthritis, by the way. And still doing it. Really and then another one uh, from JF, uh, J.F. Escular, who is part of the World uh, Congress, uh, said you're a pioneer in the world of physiotherapy, knee injuries, osteoarthritis, and rehab programs such as GLAD. So amazing to have you at SPC 2019. So hopefully um, everyone who is listening will uh, now be a little bit more curious, want to come to Vancouver yeah. and join you in, in Vancouver to listen to your great talk. So um, again, it's Vancouver, October 3rd through the 5th of this year, 2019 in Vancouver. Um, all the information is right here on the Facebook page. So you can go and click on the link on the Facebook page and we'll even put it underneath this, um, underneath uh, this video. And if it's okay with Professor Roos, we can also maybe put some um, uh, links to the GLAD program as well. Sure. Perfect. All right, so is and there- you, you can link to GLAD Canada and GLAD Australia and you will find information in English. That might also be a good thing. Awesome, yeah, that would probably, and <laughs> we're gonna be in Canada, even better. So in English would be yes. even better. So we'll and have- If you link to GLAD Switzerland, you will also get information in French, German and Italian. Awesome, so we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of languages covered yes. there, so which yes. is wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, Professor Roos, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today and coming on. And I look forward to seeing you in Vancouver in a couple of months. Nice talking to you, Karen. Bye-bye. everyone, thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for coming on. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks with another interview. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.